Hey everybody, this is the Gathering Springfield podcast. My name is Josh Gunner. Thank you for joining me. I'm very excited about today's episode as we begin our study through the book of Revelation. We've been talking about the glorious return of Christ. We walk through the Gospels and we discuss Jesus' teaching on the last days and his return. And then we went through the writings of the apostles and we looked to see what they taught the early church. And now we finally land in the book of Revelation. It's going to be a great study, so buckle up and get ready. Here we go. Here we are, another Wednesday and another episode in our podcast. Again, thank you for joining me. I hope you've enjoyed this season as we've been talking about the glorious return of Jesus Christ. I want to encourage you, if you haven't been able to listen to the previous episodes, go back and listen to those as each episode builds on the previous one. If you're looking for a New Testament study about the return of Christ, what the Bible says about the last days, and what that generation is going to look like, I hope that you have found it right here. This is our church podcast, and each season focuses on one of our core values. And we've decided to start with our core value of the teaching and the message of Christ's return. So all season one is focused on Jesus' return, what that generation is going to look like, the events leading up to it. And today, I'm possibly more excited than any other episodes. We have finally worked our way to the book of Revelation. It's one of my personal favorite books of the Bible. I encourage you to read it and read it. and read it over and over and over and over again. A lot of people think it's a scary book. A lot of people think it's super confusing and that they wouldn't be able to understand it. But I want to encourage you, that's the exact opposite. The book of Revelation was given to us so that we may know and comprehend and understand the battle plan that Christ lays before us to redeem the earth. And that's why we like to start with the Gospels. We like to start with the teachings of Jesus, work our way through what the apostles had to say about the last days. And once we have that framework of Jesus's teachings and the apostles' teachings, then we understand the revelation that was given to the apostle John as he gives it to the churches. I'm going to share a personal concern that I have. I'm not one to talk about negative things that the church does But to be honest, I have a concern that too many pastors, too many believers ignore this book. Some justify it by saying, well, there's just disagreement on what this book means. Others justify it by saying, I don't really need to understand what this means because God's going to work it all out in the end anyway. Others will say all this stuff has already happened, so therefore there's no point for me to know. And here's what's wrong with all of those things. That shouldn't be the way that we think about any book of the Bible. But like Paul told Timothy, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for correction, for reproof, for training in righteousness so that the man of God may be equipped for every good work. And the book of Revelation has been given to equip the churches, to equip the bride of Christ for the last days and so that we may endure the things that are going to take place in that generation with an understanding and a confidence in the lordship and the leadership of Jesus Christ. Before we start reading the book of Revelation, I want you to know that this book is not about the Antichrist. It's not about Satan. It is about Jesus and his leadership his lordship. We read about the Antichrist. We read about Satan. We read about tribulation. But this book is the revelation of Jesus Christ. He is our Lord. He is our King. We should read this book 
with the desire to see Jesus, to have revelation of Christ and his leadership and his kingdom. I believe it was Barna, the Pew Research, that put out a survey. And they surveyed a lot of different churches. And they asked, what are the most desired topics that you wish that your pastor would teach on and talk about? And the book of Revelation was at the top of the list. The crazy thing is that the book of Revelation and the return of Christ is one of the least talked about topics from the pulpit. The church is hungry to know what the Bible says about the last days and his generation. But many of us leaders aren't confident in the message of Revelation. Therefore, we never talk about it because you can't teach what you don't know. If you are a church elder, if you're a church leader, I encourage you, your people are hungry to know what the book of Revelation says. So dive into it. Ask God for wisdom. Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal truth to you so that you can feed the flock of Christ. The church is hungry for this message. So I encourage you, feed the flock of God with the whole Bible and don't neglect the book of Revelation. So with that being said, the way we're going to study the book of Revelation is going to be broken up into four parts. Part 1, 2, and 3 are going to be shorter. Uh, That's going to actually be Revelation 1 through 5 is going to be found in part 1, 2, and 3. And then part 4 is going to take up Revelation 6 through 22. We're going to take our time in the book of Revelation. We're not going to rush through it because I want us all to have a good understanding of what each chapter is about, what each verse is about. So part one is going to be Revelation 1. It's John's calling to prophesy and his heavenly encounter. Part two is Revelation 2 and 3, which makes up the seven letters to the seven churches that Christ gave to John to spread to the church. Part three is Revelation 4 and 5, where Jesus receives and opens the scroll. And then part four is the final part, and it's Revelation 6 through 22, which essentially it is Jesus's battle plan. It includes the great tribulation judgments against the Babylon religion and the Antichrist and his empire. Christ's plan is revealed in five chronological sections, uh, and after each section, there is an angelic explanation, and we're going to talk about that as we get there. I know that there are different views. There are different theological beliefs about the book of Revelation. Some say it's chronological. Some say it's not chronological. Some say it's just figurative and symbolic. Some say it's literal. And as we get to these different chapters, I'll kind of explain that as we walk through. Again, if you haven't listen to the previous episodes. You really need to do that before we get into the book of Revelation. Otherwise, it may be hard to understand. We're going to be going through the book of Revelation, and we teach it from a historic premillennial view. So I'm going to be teaching from that theological perspective. That's what we believe is scripturally accurate. But that being said, remember, we love the church of Jesus Christ, whether they are post-millennialist, pre-millennialist, all-millennialist, and we can stand united in the gospel and work together in furthering the kingdom of heaven. In today's episode, we're just going to cover Revelation chapter 1, part 1. By the end of this study, we're going to have read the whole book of Revelation together. I'm going to stop from time to time and explain what the apostle is saying The main focus of Revelation 1 is John's calling to prophesy and a heavenly encounter that he had. So let's go ahead and read it. Here we go. Revelation 1, verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him 
to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. I'm going to stop there. Didn't even finish verse 1 and I'm already stopping to explain. Notice that the Bible says that it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. It is the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God, the Father, gave him to show his servants the things that must soon take place. This book that we're starting to read, God the Father gave Jesus Christ, our Lord, so that he can give to John to give to the church. And the purpose is so that the church may understand the things that must soon take place. Now remember, here's what we need to know. Whenever the scripture says the things that must soon take place, we have to understand that that doesn't mean in John's generation that these things are going to soon take place from a human perspective. Remember what the apostle Peter said. We talked about this in last week's episode, that God's timing and our timing are two very different things. Some people believe that the book of Revelation talks about things that happened in the past. And they'll take the opening that says these things that must soon take place to say John wrote down that they're going to happen soon. But that's from God's perspective, not man's timing. Again, like the apostle Peter said, that to God, a thousand years is like a day and a day is like a thousand years. Simply stated, God's timing is different than our timing. We have to know there are a lot of things in the book of Revelation that has not taken place yet. And we'll discuss those things as we read through the book. So it's the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even all that he saw. So the father gave it to Jesus Jesus gave it to the Apostle John. The Apostle John has given it to the church, which has passed it down generation to generation for the last 2,000 years. Verse 3 says, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. Again, the statement, the time is near, does not mean that everything written in this book has already happened in the past. That would become very obvious as we continue to read. But no, from heaven's perspective, the time is very near. And Jesus is going to accomplish these things that the Father in his sovereignty has determined to happen. Verse 3 says, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it, and those who keep what is written in it. Yet it's one of the most neglected books in the New Testament. And it's the only book of the Bible that actually says there's a blessing for reading, hearing, and keeping what it says. And when it says you're blessed for reading it, that means studying it and proclaiming it. Whenever the scripture says those who hear, it's not just talking about who hear audibly the words. There is truth in that, but it also means who understands it, who agrees with it. Just like when when Jesus says they hear, but they do not hear. They have ears, but they do not hear. It's one thing to hear the words spoken in this book, but those who hear it, that includes those who understand it. There's a special blessing for those who study it, who proclaim it, There's a special blessing for those who understand it, who hear it. And then it says, and blessed are those who keep it. And that includes those who act upon it, who agree with it, who submit to its teachings. And so what we're doing now is we're asking God to release the blessing on us for studying it, give us wisdom to understand it, and give us the boldness to keep it, to act upon it, and to agree with it. Verse 4 says, 
John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings on earth. Verse 4 is a simple greeting to the churches that are in Asia that he's writing to. It's just like all the other writings of the apostles. They always greeted the church. So the apostle John is greeting the churches. And in verse 5, he gives three different titles to Jesus. He says, the faithful witness. He was the faithful witness to reveal the truth of God in his ministry, no matter what the cost. Secondly, he says, the firstborn of the dead. Jesus was the first one to be resurrected with a heavenly body. We talked about this a few episodes ago when Paul talked about the resurrection. He says that Jesus was the firstborn of the dead. He's also assumed the position of firstborn heir to the kingdom spoken in Psalm 89. So he's the firstborn of the dead. And then the third title, he says, he's the ruler of the kings on earth. He has been made king of kings. Revelation 19 says when he comes back, he's going to have written on his thigh, king of kings and lord of lords. Remember, we read the book of Revelation to gain revelation of Jesus and who he is and his leadership and his lordship. Verse 5 says that he is the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, which speaks to his faithfulness, his ministry, his resurrection, and the work of the cross and his resurrection, and his authority over the earth. The last part of verse 5 says, To him who loves us, and has freed us from our sins by his blood. Again, beholding Jesus in the book of Revelation, Jesus is the one who has saved us, who has freed us from our sins by his sacrifice, by his blood that he poured out on the cross. The first few verses, John lays out the gospel. So far, not too hard to understand, right? Verse 6, And he has made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Verses 5 and 6, really, we see the gospel in those two verses. That Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, firstborn of the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth, he has freed us from our sins by his blood, and he has made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. These verses show the results of his first coming, and then in verse 7, he starts to mention his second coming. Verse 7, Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him, even so, amen. Just like in the book of Acts, where the angels tell the believers standing on the mountain after he ascended that he's coming back on the clouds. Every eye is going to see him. So whenever he comes back, the Christians aren't the only ones that are going to see him. All the nations are going to see Jesus when he comes back. And the tribes of the earth are going to wail. They're going to mourn. They're going to weep on account of him. Because the nations are going to be in sin. Again, there's going to be wicked nations on the earth because they've been deceived, that they've been following the Antichrist. And whenever he comes back, he's going to save and deliver his people, but he's going to punish the wicked on the earth. The nations and the tribes are going to weep. They're going to mourn because of him. Verse 8, I am the Alpha and Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Verse 8 Jesus declares his eternal glory, that he is the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. He is God who was in the past, he is God who is in the present, and he is God who is to come in the future. 
Verse 9, the apostle says, I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. So he was exiled to the island of Patmos because of his proclamation of the gospel and the testimony of Jesus. And he says, I'm your partner both in tribulation and in the kingdom, living in the blessings of the kingdom, but also in tribulation while on this earth. He says in verse 10, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, Write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum and to Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. So what's happening here, the Apostle John is in exile. He's on the island of Patmos. And while he's there on the Lord's Day, he's in the Spirit. I would like to think on the Lord's Day, he's praying, he's worshiping, he's spending time in the Spirit. And as he's in the Spirit, he gains this revelation. All of a sudden, he hears this thunderous voice that says, Write down what you're about to see and send it to the churches that are in Asia. And after the voice spoke, he says, I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and in turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. Verse 13. That's verse 12, verse 13. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. So he hears this thunderous voice. The voice gives him some direction to write to the churches, and he turns around, and when he turns, he starts seeing heavenly things. He's not just seeing things in the natural now. When he turns at the hearing of the voice from heaven, he starts to see heavenly things. He sees seven golden lampstands. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But what's important, he saw Jesus. He's about to explain seeing Jesus. Now, think about this for a minute. John hadn't seen Jesus since the ascension, as far as we know anyway. Verse 14 says, The hairs of his head were white, like wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in full strength. I want to remind you, John was the equivalent of a best friend to Jesus while he was on earth. If you read through the Gospels, we find out that John was the one that Jesus loved. Obviously, he loved them all. But there was a special relationship between Christ and John the Apostle. John was the only apostle that was at the cross who saw Jesus die. It was John who Jesus looked down from the cross, and he looked at Mary, his mother, and said, John, behold your mother. Mother, behold your son. He essentially said, John, you're going to take care of mom. It was John who was embraced by Jesus. There was a close friendship that they had. But whenever John sees him in his heavenly glory and he explains him, look what he does in verse 17. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. He fell down as if he was dead. We like to think sometimes whenever we see Jesus, we're going to walk up, give him a high five, and say, hey, good to see you, Jesus. This was Jesus' best friend. And whenever John saw Jesus, he fell down as a dead man because he saw him in his resurrected, glorified body, his face shining like the sun. Jesus responds to John fainting, and he says this. It says, But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, for I am the first and the last and the living one. 
I died, and behold, I'm alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades, or death and hell. Jesus identifies himself to the apostle. He says, I am alive. I died, and I'm alive now forevermore. Revelation chapter 1 is full of beautiful insights of the man, Jesus Christ. He says, I died, and behold, I'm alive forevermore, and I have the keys. He has the authority. And after John sees Jesus, he gains this revelation of his glory and his power, his majesty. And Christ gives him a commission. He says, write therefore the things that you have seen, those things that are and those things that are to take place after this. He says, there are things that are and things that are going to take place in the future. Then he gives insight about the golden lampstands and the stars. He says, as for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. This word here for angels means messengers. It's pretty widely accepted that these stars don't represent actual heavenly angels, but represent the messengers, the elders of the seven churches that are in Asia. The bishops or the leading pastors, the leading elders, the messengers for God to the churches. He's saying these are the seven stars and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. I like to point out that stars give direction and guidance and lampstands hold fire for light. The church messengers, the church pastors, elders, the seven stars, they give direction and guidance and the church, the lampstand, holds the fire for the light. And it's through the church that God reveals his glory to the earth. The church is holding the light. We are the light of the earth. John saw Jesus in his glory holding the seven stars and the seven churches, which reveals Christ's leadership over the church and the leaders and his authority that he has over the church. And that is Revelation chapter 1. God saw it fit before he starts laying down all the different details of the last days and his return and the different things that we're going to see, before he lays out the battle plan, he finds value in first revealing the Christ. As much as I hate to say it, that's all that we have time for today, but that's Revelation chapter 1. I'm going to end by doing a quick overview of the chapter. Chapter 1, verse 1. The revelation was given by the Father to Jesus Christ to give to John to give to the churches. Verse 3 says that there's a special blessing for those who read, which includes studying and proclaiming this book, those who hear it, which includes understanding it, and those who keep it, which includes agreeing with it and acting upon it, submitting to it. There's a special blessing. Verse 5, the apostle gives three titles to Jesus. He's the faithful witness, which speaks of Christ and his faithfulness to fulfill the work and the ministry that the Father gave him. The firstborn of the dead, which speaks to his resurrection and the ruler of the kings of the earth, his authority over the earth. He is king of kings and lord of lords. Verse 6, he's made his followers, he's made his church a kingdom of priests to God the Father. And he deserves all the glory, the dominion for all eternity. Verse 7, Jesus is returning among the clouds. He's in heaven now as he ascended, but he's going to come back. He's going to descend back to the earth. Everyone will see him and the nations will mourn because of his coming judgment. Verse 8, Jesus declares his eternal glory. I am the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end who is, who was, and who is to come. 
verses 9 through 11, John talks about being in the Spirit and hearing a heavenly voice and getting direction to write to the churches. He writes to seven churches, the church in Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea, and Ephesus. These letters we're actually going to read next week, Revelation 2 and 3. Revelation 1, verses 12 through 16, this passage is one of the most descriptive imagery of Jesus in his heavenly state after the resurrection. It says that he's the one who walks among the lampstands, which later we find out are the churches. He's walking amongst the church. The Bible says where two or three are gathered together, there I am in the midst of them. So Jesus is in the midst of his church. He's also clothed in a long robe, which would be much like the high priestly robes. He is our high priest. It says that he has a golden sash around his chest, which would represent his kingly priestly role and his anointing. It says that he has white hair, signifying eternity, purity, and wisdom. He has eyes like fire, refining passion, and he sees everything. His feet are like bronze which speaks to his power to trample on his enemies under his feet and judgment. His voice is like many waters, which speaks to his power and the authority of his voice. He's holding the seven stars, which speaks to the leaders of the seven churches, Jesus holding them in his hand. He has a sharp two-edged sword coming out of his mouth, which shows the power of his words and the authority to destroy his enemies. And his face is shining like the sun. The glory of his countenance strengthens and fascinates his people. These verses are a beautiful revelation of our King Jesus. Verse 18, Jesus says, I'm the one who died and resurrected and I have gained the authority over hell and death. Verse 19, Jesus commissions John to write the prophetic revelations to the church. And then verse 20 explains who the seven stars and the seven lampstands are. And that concludes Revelation chapter 1. I hope you enjoyed this first episode. I want you to understand that although this podcast is going to give you some information, it's going to be a good study, but it's just a starting point for you to dive in and go deeper in your personal study of the book of Revelation. My goal in studying the book of Revelation with you is not to convince you of my personal beliefs, but it's to help point you in a direction that may help you as you study the book of Revelation with the desire to behold Jesus in the scriptures. The book of Revelation is the revelation of Jesus Christ, and I'm so excited to go through it with you. If you enjoyed this podcast, I want to encourage you to share it if you're on social media. Help me get the word out because the church needs to hear the message of Revelation. If you have any questions about the book of Revelation or this study or our ministry, feel free to contact me at pastorjgunter at gmail.com, and I would love to continue our conversation. Father, we love you. We thank you for who you are. I thank you for your spirit. I thank you for your word. I thank you so much for the book of Revelation and how it gives us insight of Christ and who you are. I pray that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, a mind to comprehend, and passion in our heart to seek after you in everything that we do. As we read Revelation, let us be the people who read it, who study it, who hear it, understand it, and those who keep it, who agree with it and submit to it. Because we know there's a special blessing for those who do that. And we want every blessing that you'll pour out. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.